This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Well, honey, it's another day and it's another sleigh. And uh, it's Ryan here. Well, let's go there and Shira and Ryan. And Shira is still out. You know, honey, she is recovering from the COVIDs, but she's getting better. I talked to her this morning and she's sounding beautiful. Um, we were just chit-chatting. So she's doing better. I'm very happy about that. Sharjah Jacelle is here filling in for her, though, as she has been all this week. What's I up? Am. You know what? This is the final first Friday of the year. I don't know if you realize that, but we're yeah. here. Yeah. Do you have that, honey? I do. Can I have some? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just want some. Sorry. Do you want me to throw it? Yeah, just toss it. This is live radio, honey. I mean, I'm like, what the I'm hell? like, just go with the punches, okay, honey. Okay. Well, hello. <laughs> so I was getting used to my randomness. Yeah. Uh, but no, seriously, I didn't even notice that. And I think you, you went out for lunch the other day with like friends. Like, are you doing like last minute catch ups for the, before the end of the year? Like, how's that been for you? Yeah, well, it's not necessarily last minute. I did go to lunch yesterday with a friend who I have not. Uh, really, well, I saw him last month, but we're just platonic friends. He shows up to the restaurant with a bouquet, like a dozen roses. <laughs> Wait, so he just like comes there. I mean, that's a nice gesture, right? Oh, it's a very sweet gesture, and I'm very appreciative. I chipped, uh, I mean chipped, I clipped the stems. They're in water with the little plant food. But I'm just like, uh, uh, hello, we're just platonic friends, <laughs> and there are nice-looking men at the restaurant. At the lunch. <laughs> And you are blocking. I know that wasn't his intent. I really do appreciate yeah. the gesture, but it's like you are blocking. Oh my god! I guess you bring me roses. You never think about that, especially like if you go out with a friend and you're just trying to do something nice. But with other people looking, if somebody was like peeping you from across yeah. the way, they like damn. And this is someone who who he's attractive. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. tall. He's attractive. Like I'm sure they're very like, butch. Anybody that was looking at us was probably like, oh, she's because I got there first oh, and I was holding down the table yeah, type thing. Yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah, but it was nice to catch up. Oh, that's cute. Wow, Mm -hmm. no one gives me flowers. But it's okay. We have a lot of show. I'm not going to dwell on it. We got a lot of show to get into. Um, Coming up this hour, actually, we got a lot to talk about because the government is constantly on the verge of shutting down. Why? It's annoying. Can we please do something else? We're going to figure out why. We're going to talk about it later this hour. And then, of course, um, yeah, I don't know if you all knew this, but during the pandemic, the number of firearms in households with teenagers went up. And with all the conversation um, happening around Michigan and the parents, we have to talk about this. So that is coming up uh, during this show. Get ready for that. 
you know, we're going to give you everything you need to know. But right now, let's get some t- into some top of the hour headlines. Oh, yes. Okay. So, speaking of Michigan, a Michigan prosecutor has filed charges against the parents of a 15-year-old boy accused of fatally shooting... Um, shooting his classmate at a Oakland County High School this week. A rare move, she said, was justified by the egregious facts of the case. James and Jennifer Crumbly, parents of shooting uh, suspect Ethan Crumbly, face four counts each of involuntary manslaughter, um, of, according to the Oakland County prosecutor, Karen McDonald. She announced this on Friday today. McDonald said the Crumblies brought a semi-automatic handgun as a gift for their son, who days later allegedly used it to kill four of his uh, Oxford High School classmates and wound seven people on November 30th in the deadliest school shooting in more than three years. Here is what the Michigan prosecutor had to say. Based on the information and evidence I have received, today I am announcing charges against the shooter's parents, Jennifer and James Crumbly. The charges are as follows. James Crumbly is charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter. Jennifer Crumbly is also charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter. I will now publish the details that led to that decision and have already previously been made public which allows me to comment on them in a swear to that has just taken place in the district court. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about this a uh, little bit later on the show, as I just mentioned, um, because this is the story and the details yeah. of the story just continue to just bother me and just continue to just show like, you know, um, I don't know what time and moment we're in in time anymore. It just feels so weird. Earlier this week, I actually reported because initial report said that the father bought the gun for himself. Now, to find out that he bought it for the child, for the yeah. for the teen is, is very troublesome. And I guess the parents are on the run as of the last hour authorities are looking for them and they are yeah. can't be found so I just I think how we want to figure this out is just why during the pandemic we saw such an increase in, in guns in households with teenagers why did that go up and how does this all kind of connect? and they're doing those ghost guns too you yeah. know they can't be traced you can order the separate parts from online and piece it together like a puzzle right so next hour I'm going to get into the Omicron coronavirus variant and how, uh, you know, a new study says that three times, it's three times more likely to uh, cause reinfection mm-hmm. than Delta. So find out for all those details next hour on the hour. But first, let's get into the tea report. Well, I don't know about you, Ryan, or producer Vanessa, but last night at 8 p.m., I was over on ABC with George Stephanopoulos watching that interview with Alec Baldwin. I missed it, but I, I tried to catch it on the Good Morning America's this morning, mm-hmm. little clips. It was it was pretty good. Uh, it was an hour long, maybe even an hour and half if I think back but it was no it was 80 minutes long but uh there that's are a few, really specific <laughs> because I remember <laughs> reading about it but there were some interesting things for example Baldwin says he did not pull the trid the trigger um at the time of the the shooting that took out um Miss Hutchins take a listen to what he had to say the trigger wasn't pulled I didn't pull the trigger so you never pulled the trigger no 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 no, no. I, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them never I have no idea someone put a live bullet in a gun a bullet that wasn't even supposed to be on the property 
can I say, it was really shocking to know in the first place that he was going to be doing an interview anyway, because I know most lawyers would have probably advised him to, yeah. hey, you're in the middle of a lot of things going on. Maybe a it's lot not the time to talk right now. But you know what? I thought it was interesting because he did go on to say that he does not feel guilt. So I feel like that linguistically was an interesting choice of words. Because well, he, he said he was going to will... kill, like he would have killed himself yeah. if he was the one that pulled the trigger. But also, you know, as I've been really thinking about this, the actors really have, like, he has responsibility in this, but not really, because his yeah. job is as a performer to yep. show up and do the job, read the I lines, agree. and execute the scene. It is not his job to necessarily quadruple check a gun for safety to make sure. Plus, who would have thought live ammo would yeah. have been in a prop gun? So there are a few takeaways from this, but um, he responded to, to Donald Trump. He responded to George Clooney. If you haven't taken a listen at this or a watch at this, it is available and streaming on Hulu, but check it was it an out. interesting interview, and it'll be interesting interesting to see as these lawsuits unfold what's going to happen to Baldwin. He also said he doesn't care about his career. He's all about his family. Like, if that's the end of his career, then that's yeah. the end of his career. Well, you can check that out over on We Are Channel Q um, as we put all our tea reports there. The tea reports are just always there because we got the pop culture tea that you need. Um, but coming up, we got a lot more show to discuss, of course. Why the government is constantly on the verge of shutdown. And is there a way that we can possibly get rid of that threat of a shutdown where politicians can't just like threaten that every five seconds? <laughs> Jackie Copel, a political commentator, is joining us for that combo. So stick around. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, every December, it just seems the U.S. government finds itself in the same place, desperately trying to avoid yet another government shutdown and all of the economic and political problems that would bring. So, honey, why is the government always on the verge of um, just always shutting down? Here's the thing. I, I think we really have to take a look. We're getting our guests on the line. Um, and it's really interesting. This week, if you did not know, Congress was scrambling to pass a continuing resolution or short-term spending bill to avoid a government shutdown before um, existing funds kind of run out on Friday. Lawmakers were broadly expected to do so. Democrats and Republicans on Thursday said they reached a deal that will extend government funding through February, but the measure still needs to pass both the House and the Senate. And so it, it just always feels that the threat of a government shutdown always seems to loom on an annual basis. And yeah, it, it's frustrating. It is. And I feel like that it exceeds every December, right? I feel like this happens around Easter. <laughs> yes, too. it does. It this goes all the, the way up to like March or April. Yeah. But what I found interesting is when I was doing some digging, Prior to 2013, government shutdown had happened in more than a decade. Like the last one prior to 2013 was yeah. 1996. Yeah. And so actually joining us right now is Jackie Copel, political commentator. Honey, I'm just answering the phone. Don't even know if it's you. But hey, what's up? Hey, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I took a chance there. I was just like, you know, I saw it blinking. Um, perfect timing. No, perfect timing. We're so happy that you could join us. We are really concerned and confused on why the government is constantly on the verge of shutting down. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I hate to break it to you, but this is a political tool that is consistently used now uh, to basically give a heart attack to uh, Americans, uh, the markets, etc. But it's, again, it's being used as a political tool, mostly so that parties can sort of prove to their voters that they're fighting for what uh, what they, they believe the voters want. Um, but, you know, typically, typically the threats of a shutdown uh, eventually lead to the passing of some sort of spending bill, um, because ultimately it is obviously wildly detrimental if we are not able to pay our bills. 
problem. <laughs> yeah, right. Which I always find strange that they weaponize that because they're really not fighting for a lot of the times what the constituents actually want. Right. That's why we have all these threats to Roe versus Wade and transgender athletes. It's a lot going on. Can you break down why <laughs> why it seems like we just avoided another government shutdown? Yeah, so uh, it was avoided because, uh, honestly, we were coming close to coming down to the wire. And, and this is not it's not a full it's not sort of full approval. This is once again sort of kicking the can down the road. We've now we have another short term, you know, short term spending bill, which both parties, you know, always always need to approve. Um, and, and really what this has done is <laughs> it's basically to buy time. It's a bit of a game of chicken, right? Who's going to give in first? And whether that's the right call or not, don't shoot the messenger, right? I'm just sort of explaining what it comes down to is both parties have to fulfill on their obligation to what they believe is what their voters want, whether it is or isn't, it's what they believe is going to keep them in office and, and keep them you know, in their jobs. And mm-hmm, so yeah. they have to sort of put up a fight. Now, it is, it is a mark of the partisanship of our country that it is being used so frequently. This is not normal. It's not normal that it feels like every year or two we go through the threat of a shutdown or sometimes an actual shutdown. It's a dangerous game to play. It's not just a dangerous game because literally services are then not funded. Uh, but, you know, it impacts the, the whole economy should it go on long enough. Um, it, you know, long term, these things can impact credit rating and and uh, wow. you know, we honestly can't afford that. Well, and doesn't it also impact like for government workers? Like if the government shut down, they don't get paid or they don't mm-hmm. get any money either. Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so for me, I just remember us when uh, it was the 2020 kind of elections and, and it was all the campaigning was happening. And I remember us talking about does bipartisanship actually exist? Does it are we <laughs> are we over it now? And it feels like I, I can't help but think about that in the sense of like, both parties are always using this as a tool, but is there ever going to come a time where we're not seeing this as a tool, like this threat of always kind of leading to a government shutdown is going to kind of be, I don't know, in our faces and happening all the time? Can we possibly get rid of that threat? Well, I think what we've seen historically, it is possible to pull back from this, right? Historically, there have been periods where the government has been, you know, funded, and we haven't had such vitriol and anger between the parties. Uh, to be honest, I think that there's got to sort of be a movement. I know that a lot of my work, and I know you guys also believe, like, we have to be able to have conversations as mm-hmm. a nation and as, you know, one, one-on-one and then party to party. There has to, at some point, there is sort of a red line, right? There is, there is a point at which we just, the government has to do something. They have yeah. to do some work. Uh, and so eventually, right, eventually, Spending bills do get passed because you can't have the government leave the government unfunded for too long. It, the impacts are so detrimental to people's pocketbooks and, you know, to the country's economy that eventually something has to shift. But in order to prevent this from happening, you know, in general, I think there has to really be a movement to, yeah. to help people start listening to one another and not. Uh, vilifying one another. I don't know that we're going to get there in the next couple of years. I right. certainly hope so. I know that that's some of my work. <laughs> but uh, Well, but, you know, Jackie, I'm yeah. not going to hold my breath for that, but yeah, I'm going yeah. to put out some good vibes. This is Jackie Coppell. Yeah. She's a political commentator. Thank you so much for always being there and joining us. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Okay, so coming up next, I bet you all did not know this. During the pandemic, the number of firearms in households with teenagers went up. Why, you ask? Well, that's up next. We're getting into it.
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, four days before the tragic shooting at a high school in Michigan, the 15-year-old shooter's father purchased the new firearm that was used in the attack. Since the pandemic, the number of firearms in households with teenagers have spiked. Why, you ask? Well, joining us for this discussion is Dr. Patrick Carter, co-director at the Institute for Firearm Injury Prevention. Hi, thank you so much for being here, Dr. Carter. Thank you for having me. So in your article, um, we found this on theconversation.com. You wrote about this increase that happened during the pandemic. Can you really break down the statistics that you found for this? Sure. I mean, we know that during the early months of the pandemic, the number of firearms that were purchased uh, were estimated to be about two, a little over two million firearms, which is wow. a much higher amount than sort of the typical expected volume. So what we did was we um, conducted a nationally representative survey of parents of high school age youth, so teens that are in between the ages of 14 to 18, and we interviewed their parents, and we found that 10% of those homes had purchased a new firearm during those early months of the pandemic. And among those, 3% were really first-time buyers. In addition, uh, we identified that about 5% of fire-moaning parents also told us that they made their firearms more accessible during the initial months of COVID, meaning they kept them, instead of keeping them in a locked safe, they kept them on a bedside table, and they kept them loaded where they could be... Um, where they could be accessed more easily. Now, I'm wondering, wow. how, how do we get from hoarding toilet paper to keeping <laughs> guns on the nightstand? Now, I, I, what I'm curious about, because I've been seeing a lot of news reports about, especially as it pertains to Southern California, about these things called ghost guns, in which you can order different pieces and kind of assemble it like a like a Power Ranger Megazord, and then you have a, a firearm that can kill people. Does this study track that, or is it only like firearms like a Smith & Wesson that's already you know, an actual gun. Right. We didn't we didn't get down into the specifics of the type of gun, um, although I can say most of these guns were purchased illegally. So legally, meaning legal purchases from a store or from. So, um, well, ghost guns certainly are a problem. Um, that's likely not the source of the firearms that we're talking about in this case. Well, let's actually bring it back, because I think what's really interesting, I, I wonder, are most firearm owners with children and teens, do, were they taking safety precautions more seriously before the pandemic? And then when the pandemic came, I, I just am trying to find the connection and in, in, in one, keeping it locked away to having it on your bedside table. That is just wild to me. Yeah. Sure. And we know that about a third of households with children have firearms and, uh, you know, almost up to 40 percent of those firearms are not um, secured in a locked um, uh, storage. Um, uh, and one of the other components that we are aware of, uh, this is from prior research pre-pandemic, um, is that um, most uh, people tell us that they keep their firearms not locked because they're there's um, they're fearful that they need they'll need to defend themselves um, quickly in the moment. And so, um, really thinking about that in connection with COVID and thinking about the increased fear and isolation of the pandemic, and that's likely an underlying uh, uh, relative factor. Although we don't have specific causal data on why people right. um, uh, kept firearms. Uh, in a more accessible manner, when we asked people these questions, they told us it was because of an increased fear and the need to defend themselves. Okay, so what should we see on a federal level when it comes to gun reform? Well, 
I mean, I think that uh, if we take a step back, I think it's really about taking a comprehensive approach to addressing this problem. I think using evidence-based solutions. And so I, what I, that means to me is really focusing on all aspects of the problem, from what can we do at the individual level with individuals uh, who own guns to make them safer? What can we do at a community level? What can we do at a policy level? Uh, what can we do at a federal policy level? And I think it's looking at all of those pieces in order to put together the right combination to decrease these types of events from occurring. And so I think a practical step and one that, that clearly has been shown to have evidence behind it is parents should be locking up their guns and keeping them away from teens and not making them accessible to teens. And so I think Storing firearms safely is really one clear step that has evidence behind it that will decrease access to teens and um, and prevent these types of tragic outcomes from occurring. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Patrick Carter, who is a co-director at the Institute for Firearm Injury Prevention. We appreciate you for joining us for this conversation. Thank you for having me. Have a nice day. You too. Now, up next, uh, we are taking a hard left because we're talking about Twitter's new policy and how it may change how we use the site forever. Yeah. Oh, no. I know. It's coming up. Don't go anywhere. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Got clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, so let's talk about Twitter. The Twitter, the Twitter, the Twitter. The Twitter. Yeah, so they, if you are a user, I know Shara and I are users of Twitter. I mean, I feel like most people are, but you never know. Mm-hmm. Um, Twitter is expanding its policy on posting private information with the goal of limiting the risk of harassment, intimidation, and doxing. Now, while the intent of the policy is good, the wording of the policy itself has led to confusion about what is actually banned in some free speech experts worry it will make it harder to share newsworthy videos and photos on Twitter. What are your initial thoughts? I'm a little scared. Why? Because Twitter moves so much of the conversation versus like a Facebook or an Instagram where there may be overt censorship to certain things as far as it pertains to like Black Lives Matter, for example. Like Twitter really is like a, I wouldn't say a safe haven, but I feel like 
it's a pretty neutral platform to post what you you want to post, whether you're a proud boy or a Black yeah. Lives Matter activist, so to speak. So yeah, I'm I mean, a even with Twitter spaces, I I mean, the proud boys on there are creating their own spaces, uh-huh. being like, ask a white nationalist anything. Yeah. Oh, so now, is that like a fun game or something? <laughs> what the heck is going they on? They will hold a panel of white nationalists. You can ask them anything That's you disgusting. want. Yeah. No, it, it went viral a couple of days ago, but um. I, I think about, like, one, I can understand why they are doing this because there has there is a dark side to Twitter, right? There's a dark side to oh, any yeah. social media. Yeah. Um, but Twitter specifically, people have gotten harassed. People have really gotten, I mean, they, fe- they fear for their lives at yeah. times. And I understand why Twitter is trying to make it a safer space because oftentimes, guess what? We're asking these platforms to make it a safer place. And this is how they're trying to figure out a way of doing it. Now, is it too, is it too extreme where the pendulum is swinging too far right, well, left, and where they're trying to overcorrect? Maybe. Um, because I think, like, all right, what does this mean for internet culture? Because let's say NeNe Leakes wants to take off all the memes of her giving us I'd prime be gold because it's her privacy and they wipe them all clean. I'd be devastated and, and so will all of the non-black people who do digital blackface. Yeah. They'd be de- devastated if Wendy, Wendy, Nene, and I don't know, uh, Tamar Braxton, Tammy yeah. Roman. There's just certain black uh, women yeah. who keep it going. And you're, you're right. Twitter is so heavily contingent on memes, mm-hmm. on GIFs, on video clips. I use it all the time frequently to express. It's a funny, cheeky way to express how I'm feeling or what I'm thinking uh, without having to type it out. And I feel like that's part of the fun of Twitter. And without that, yeah. uh, I'm still on Twitter. Like I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to leave Twitter. I don't obviously. think I am either. I think it's one of my favorite apps. It's if, a hub. Yeah, it's a hub. In regards to news media or journalism, Twitter wrote that there are cases where users may share pictures or videos, quote, as part of a newsworthy event due to public interest value, and this might outweigh the safety risk to a person. So I guess in that case, Twitter will access the context and may allow it. But my thing is, it's not like there's someone sitting behind a computer that is actually like going through these things being like, yep, that's it, that's that. No, they're leaving it up to an algorithm, yep. and algorithms are always wrong. And they will end how, up flagging the wrong yep, things. And that's how people end up getting their accounts suspended. But the algorithm never seems to catch when when we're flagging an account, for example. Like when right. someone puts out a an egregiously hateful or disgusting tweet, yeah. and it's like, okay, 48 hours have went by, and this person's account is still up, that tweet is still up. Like, yeah. So it, it's so much give and take on social media platforms, but this could go into some sticky territory. Yeah, and I think that's what worries experts. The policy appears to be too vague and makes Twitter the judge of what is newsworthy, who is a public figure, and what is in the public interest. And that, for me, is where the line kind of blurs. Twitter is a great space because the audience, the people on it, the consumer kind of controls what goes viral, what kind of is brought up to the the attention of like what's trending and all these things on the platform, Mm -hmm. right? Based off of how many people are talking about these things. But if Twitter starts to take control of that and some algorithm starts telling us um nope we don't like that because it's flagging certain things that could be really harmful for movements for uh really important things for amplifying any cause <laughs> really like yeah and and i i just think about those 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 things when it comes to social media and it's like i want these places to find ways to make their platform safe because that's a responsibility 
But where's the line? We're literally in the wild, wild west. Yeah. It's too far off the tracks. Woo! Well, we'll see as, um, you know, this policy takes, you know, force and we'll see what kind of happens. But I hope it doesn't impact too much. Now, coming up is top of the hour headlines. And President Biden has something to say to the media. And, honey, we are playing that clip up next. I'm Nikron. <laughs> Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back, top of the hour, and honey, I like that song, Memories Maroon 5. It's such a good one. I love me some Adam Levine. Honey. Oh, isn't he? He just performed at our Hollywood uh, Bowl, We Can Survive. If you were there, if you weren't, you missed out. Sorry. Um, but it seems was... like a personal dig towards me as someone <laughs> who missed it because I had another job. I promise you, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was really a good time. You know, it was a good time despite me being there with an awful date. Anyway... Uh, <laughs> let's get to what's coming up this hour because, honey, we got a great show. Now, here's an interesting thing, and Char actually brought this story to the show today. There seems to like be, you know, no line when it comes to church and state now, and we're seeing that take place in Utah when it comes to people just simply just wanting food. That story is going to be coming up later on the show. I am very excited to talk about that because had no clue the Mormons are out here acting wild. Oh, and the evangelicals. And the evangelicals. Now, let's get into top of the hour headlines on everything you need to know. So, President Biden, um, he is poking fun at all the network broadcasts um, because they are, they've are they been broadcasting old, empty shelves ahead of the holiday season. And, you know, that's going completely against everything. He's, like, saying, like, the supply chain, and he's trying to get it together. And he's like, can y'all please start, you know, refresh your catalog and show what the shelves like look like Like the B-roll, now. get the <laughs> B-roll together. <laughs> like, can you please show what it sounds like now? Because here is what he has to say. Shelves are well stocked and they're ready to meet consumer demand for the holidays. <clears throat> now, I said that yesterday and then I saw a couple of your stations put on, you found some empty shelves. <laughs> they're old empty shelves, but it doesn't matter. But go back and take a look at some of those shelves again, okay? But the, the, the point is that the vast majority of the shelves are filled President Biden's a little under the weather. It's not the Omicron. I was about to say, that didn't even sound like him. He sounded actually uh, sexy. He he did. I need that man to talk to me on the phone all the time. He did. He sounded really good right there. I was like, yes, you're right. I will go out there and take a picture of the shelves. (laughs) You can tell me right there. Um, Next up in our headlines, uh, scientists in South Africa say that Omicron is at least three times more likely to cause reinfection than previous coronavirus variants, such as Beta and Delta, according to a a preliminary study uh, published literally on Thursday. Yeah, I've been kind of tracking this story, and this morning it's something that really caught me off guard as far as United States cases are are concerned. Like, people are double-vaxxed and boosted. Yeah. And Omicron is piercing through all of that, Uh, like you said, in ways that Delta wasn't able to. guess what? I went to dinner last night with Dr. James, asked the MP, you know, our favorite, um, and he was talking to me about this, and he was saying that the reason why this one is so dangerous is because one person can infect 50 people at once. Okay, wow. Like, literally, 50 people. At once. At once. Like, at once. And I'm like, what? 
What? I just, I are just, you are you serious? I just want my life back. Yeah, and so he thinks what's probably going to happen is at some point we're all going to kind of catch it and then it's going to develop some well, sort yeah, of you know, you, and, you and I have discussed this, you know, off air. I'm like, I feel like at this point because of the, the anti-vaxxers yeah. and the misinformation, like, I feel like, I don't want to speak this over myself, but I almost feel like it's inevitable. I've been yeah. doing everything that I'm supposed to. Last year I was in the house. I'm vaccinated. My booster point is coming. I just feel like... It's inevitable, and I'm not prepared. I don't want it, but it feels like it's only a matter of time. I don't know. I've prided myself. Like I feel like it's like winning a trophy, the fact that I haven't gotten it yet. We haven't gotten it. I know. It. Like It's like we all three haven't gotten it in the studio, producer Vanessa included. And so my thing is, I'm just, I, I feel like I wear it as a badge of honor. And honestly, out of all of us, no shade, I knew Sharon was going to get it first. <laughs> no shade, I did too. Uh, I, to- I told her on Monday, I- when, she- when I found out, I said, this is very on brand for you, Shira Lazar. This is extremely on brand for we you. We love her, and I'm- I only say that because I know she's getting better. Yes. <laughs> but I-, I do love her. Well, I hope people would know that we're saying this in love. Oh, of course, of course. And yeah. everybody knows me. You know I just be saying stuff. Anyway, let's move on to our next one. Here's a little bit of good news that we need to be talking about in the media and the news. The U.S. economy added a... A, well, they say it's a disappointing 210,000 jobs in November. Um, but I think that's a pretty good. I think that's pretty good as well. <laughs> I think you're adding jobs for people. That's actually great. Um, but this report is saying that it is a disappointing 20, uh, 210,000 jobs in November, even as the employment rate fell to a new pandemic low. The 4.2% employment rate down from 4.6% in October was particularly significant because it came as more workers returned to the workforce, uh, workforce looking for jobs. I don't know. Anytime we add jobs, I'm kind of looking like that's great. And the infrastructure bill will definitely add even more jobs. Most so congratulations. Definitely. So let's get into the T report. Give Child. me that entertainment news. Child, the T report is exhausting. Buckle up. What's what you want? I'm gonna Tristan do- Thompson, True's daddy. Chloe, baby daddy, got another child on the way. A third child with the third woman. She's a, a, a personal trainer based out of Houston. Her name is Marley Nichols, and she is suing Tristan Thompson for child support, despite the fact that her baby has yet to be born. But it's like it's almost on the way. Now, the baby was allegedly conceived on Tristan Thompson's 30th birthday back in March when he and Khloe Kardashian were still dating. Woo! Now, what I find interesting about this is Tristan allegedly, this is according to page six, there's been a text message released in which he is threatening Nichols, saying that he's about to retire next year and he will not be involved in that child's life, which I find any father that pulls that stunt is the scum of the earth. But you know what's crazy about me. Tristan to me? Because he he spent that last season on Keeping Up With The Kardashians Begging. trying to like beg her and then also trying to put this like, I don't know, this persona that he's such a good guy with his foundation on. Yeah. And he looked like he was like, oh, I got all this personality. I'm really, you know, good to her. I love her, blah, blah, blah. But no, this is who you really are. This who is who you've always really been. I should mention he's still in his, his 20s and it's a personal trigger for me because I used to be involved with someone who reminds me so much of him. Oh, just aesthetically. Oh, looks, looks, okay, looks. Okay, okay. And so I'm just like, what is now going to happen? It seems like him and Nick Cannon are in some weird competition as to who can soil the earth more. <laughs> well, you know, Nick Cannon said he was uh, done for a minute. So Child. I don't know. Tristan, Tristan's about to be unemployed soon. I wonder, so. let me ask you this because I know we got to go. Do you yeah. think this will be covered? Because you know the Kardashians are filming that new show for Hulu. Yeah. Do 
you think this will be covered on there? I don't think so. I feel like it's going to, the new Hulu show is going to not be as personal as we think it's going to be. Uh huh. So the, I don't know. They're we'll pulling see. back. Yeah. Even though we will see when, um, what's his name that proposed, uh, tra- uh, what's his name? Trevor? Yeah, Travis. Travis yes. proposes to Courtney. We will see that. Oh. I heard cameras oh, were present. Wait, for no. That. What's his name? That's Travis Barker. Okay. See, there's Travis Scott and Travis Barker. Barker. Yeah. There's oh, too I many Travises. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So that's your team report. We got all those uh, details on the website. We are Channel Q. Keep us followed at LGT Show. And up next, has the lines between church and state completely been erased? The latest welfare debate in Utah that is making it harder for families to get food is coming up next. Don't go anywhere. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, with lines being blurred between church and state in recent political debates, we are seeing a version of this play out in Utah as it makes welfare... Welfare so hard that people have to join churches to receive assistance. This story is absolutely wild. Here to break it um, it down further is Eli Hager, reporter for ProPublica. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's start off from the beginning because I I'm still very shocked by a story like this. What are we seeing take place in Utah right now? Well, I think the the key point to make is that Utah um, makes it just about impossible to get public assistance from the from the state government. Um, if you're a, if you're a family in poverty, um, it's just about impossible because of all the requirements they put in your way, because of all the paperwork, um, because of all the classes you have to go to, drug tests. Um, if you're over a very very low income limit, you, you you don't qualify. All these kinds of things. So the state of Utah makes it just about impossible to get to get help. Um, through the state. Um, and as a result, a lot of people are left to go to the LDS church um, where they're kind of left at the whim of indiv- individual bishops um, to provide them with uh, charity. It seems like all of this stuff is so cyclical, almost like a carousel, because I'm seeing this push. I'm witnessing a push. I feel like we all are from evangelicals within the the nation. And now it seems like the Mormon church might be getting involved as well as far as like requiring indoctrination. I thought this story was interesting, right, because it's it appears and correct me if I'm wrong, but it appears as if they might yield the power to force people into religions in order to get aid, in order to get fundamental basic human needs? Well, right. So as I kind of hinted at in, in my first answer, it really depends on the bishop. Um, there's this term in, in Utah called Bishop Roulette. It's, um, so if you, you know, some bishops in the LDS church are, are tremendously generous with with aid and providing food and clothing to people and help with their rent or, or car payments. Um, but others put a lot of requirements in, in people's way to, to get any help from the church. Um, so if like, if you're a non-member, you may have to um, read out loud from the Book of Mormon or, mm. or watch um, LDS videos or get baptized or otherwise join the church. Or if you're um, in the LGBTQ community, um, you may be judged or rejected for that reason, mm-hmm. um, or if you're a um, single mother who, um, you know, had, had your child out of wedlock, you may be judged for that reason and asked to, um, you know, marry or cohabitate with the, the father of your children in order to get the assistance. Um, so it really depends on the bishop what they'll ask of you in order to get basic survival help. So how are we, are we seeing people speak out against this, obviously? Like, are, what are group, like, you know, I mean, activism groups or political groups, what are they doing to kind of create this separation, if anything? 
Well, um, it, it, a lot of this has been kind of beneath the surface in Utah for a long time. Um, a disproportionate um, number of members of, of the LDS church are in public office in Utah, and there's just kind of this implicit assumption that the church is is handling the issue of poverty. Right. Um uh, you know, and, and I should be clear again that the church does a tremendous amount when it comes to, to helping people in poverty. They give millions of dollars to um, efforts to fight homelessness and obviously charity around the world and that kind of thing. Um, but it, but it, a lot of it depends on um, religion and depends on your willingness to kind of um, convert to the religion or consider the religion. Um, and that's kind of the problem of... Um, having your safety net as a state depend on a religion. So where do you see this going? Because all of this sounds just very scary to me personally. Where do you see this going as far as American politics and those blurred lines that we've been talking about between church and state? What does the future look like? <laughs> well, uh, I'm not, yeah, I don't know if I can predict the future, but, but um, in the 25 years since um, welfare reform, which was that uh, law that was passed during the, the Clinton administration, which um, basically left welfare and, and the safety net to, to the individual states. What we've been seeing in, in more conservative states, um, including Utah, is an increasing willingness to kind of turn over the responsibility of, of assisting poor people to the private sector um, and to religious groups. Um, and obviously, it's not a bad thing that there's such a robust um uh, you know, that there's so many groups from the, you know, the Salvation Arm, Army and Catholic Charities and uh, synagogues and all these kinds of groups that, that help people who are struggling with housing or food. Um, but um, it's, it's ultimately the responsibility of the government to provide a safety net that can catch all uh, Americans, right, instead of just um, people who fall into one group or another um, and, and, and a lot of it depends on the states. So I think that's what we'll see increasingly is just the right. states that are more conservative states are going to go in that in that direction. And, and states that aren't are going to um, rely on the government more. Well, thank you so much, Eli Hager, who is a reporter for ProPublica. We really appreciate you for joining us for this conversation. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, so we're going to switch gears here because... Um, why is it so hard being single in this country? I, I mean, I'm just going to leave you with that question. There's so much there. Because to of break. church and state. <laughs> You're supposed to be married, Ryan. You didn't know. Oh, God. <laughs> We're going to break that down uh, right up next. Don't go anywhere. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. It's one thing falling in love with a house, and quite another navigating the world of negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. 
Guidance from an agent who's a Realtor can make all the difference. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. You know, I love me some Shira, but she's in a relationship and this conversation's not for her. <laughs> um, this goes out to all my single folks out there, you uh, know. Uh-oh. <laughs> because I, I don't think we really genuinely realize, as single people who are adults, you know, living on their own, all the bills in the world, from the streaming services to the utilities to all the things. Student loans. Student loans, the rent. We're paying for all by ourselves. Yeah. And it's one of those things where there's this article on Box.com where it really beautifully outlines the escalating cost of being single in this country and, and why life in this country is really hostile to single people. And I think I would love to, to talk about that. Have you ever felt that? energy as oh, a single woman. Are, are you kidding me? I feel it every April during income tax season. <laughs> when everybody who's running around here with all these kids getting all the good getting, checks. Yes. Oh my God. And I feel literally every time during tax season, I genuinely feel penalized because I'm a single childless woman. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do notice like the rising costs of things and it's just like, in turn, it deters me from wanting to start a family because it's like, baby, I can barely afford to feed myself mm. and take care of myself. And I like, I also like my freedom and my free time but it's just like I couldn't imagine shout out to all the single parents by the way because yeah okay and so that's actually really interesting when uh, my mom was in town we I feel like we talked so much about a lot of things and I think as an adult myself there's so much that I I have a grasp on of just about adulting and just like living as adult that I cannot believe that my mom even accomplished and did. Yeah. She had me when she was 23. She was able wow. to do so much. I mean, we she she bought a beautiful house for us. I, I feel like, and from the my POV, we never missed anything. Right. I, I lived a great, middle-class, beautiful life. Uh-huh. And I heard over the holiday what we really went through. And she was like, sometimes I could barely keep the lights on. Oh, so she was transparent with you with telling you some of like... And, and during, just now, this is the first time I'm really hearing like about the Like summer tra- 2001 was it, a little rough. She says it's been, it was rough in ways that you would have never known because I didn't want you to know. I, I wanted to kind of keep this, you from that. And this kind of reminds me of kind of my beef that I have with my mom. And I say this lovingly because I never saw my mom mom uh what i perceive is fail yeah everything I, I literally saw my mom climb the professional ladder so to speak i never every job that she went for and my mom's an educator she started out my earliest recollection was like she was like a middle school social studies teacher and i watched her climb to a high school administrator yeah and so but it, but she ended up telling me in my adult life like uh i didn't get everything that i wanted but i'm like see that's what screws me up now yes because as i was a child watching you your like example you uh, everything that you set your eyes on you achieved and yeah. so in my adult life, if I set my eyes on something and I fall short, it kind of reiterates like, ah, hi, you're a failure. You know, that one voice in your head. <laughs> so, yeah, that's interesting. I'm glad you and your mom were able to have that conversation. Well, and I, Because I think for me, especially as a single person, I'm a single male living at every day and then my mom being a but single parent. But you have parent, a daughter. Yes, I do. I have a little dog who, oh my God, girl, I'd be ready to sometimes give her up when I get some of her medical bills, because girl. Okay. <laughs> I remember one of them. Something was going on oh my with God. her. My first stimulus check. We went to the beach and somehow Coco got something in her paw. My first, I, it's like she knew that I was getting some money. And it, she literally knew. And I, that whole check went to the, the vet. They got my stimulus check. Yeah. Um, but it was one of those things where uh, my, like, I. it's just really interesting when I think about 
just how how you don't have anyone else. There's no system really here in America for single people to feel like, okay, if I can't do it. We should mention single able-bodied single people. Single able-bodied. That's another thing. That is even a layer of privilege. Yeah. That. Yeah. Makes it even more complicated. Where people look you upside your head if you can't find a job. And it's like, uh, sweetums, I can't find a job, you know, so to speak. But yeah, it, it is very expensive. Like like you mentioned, Ryan, utilities, yeah. uh, luxuries like streaming services, which I don't even think are luxuries. We need those to get by. We need our Netflix well, you, and Hulu. Well, and my stuff thing to get is, by. you also need, and I mean, internet is actually really valuable. You have Student to know loans. what's going on in the world. Student loans. Now they can take those. Rent. I'm just saying all of the things we have to pay that we can't. And so that's why, you yeah. know, at the end of the day, marriage still is, you know, uh, a tax break for a lot of people. It makes sense for them to join forces. I know someone who got married, um, and when I asked him why, <laughs> this is a sordid story, everyone oh, listening, but he told me that he owed the woman a solid. So yeah. I've noticed that with most married men yeah. in cishet relationships that I have talked to, mind your business, none of them lead with love. Like, the girls, the women are always like, oh, I married my, he proposed, I love him, and then the men are like, well, you know, I'm going to get old one day or I owed her. Like, it's just a weird dichotomy when it comes specifically to cishet marriages. I don't know what it's like with same sex, you know, cis marriages. I mean, it's probably the same mess. But you can merge finances and, and in turn, since it's so expensive being single, I imagine that yeah. you can live a better life. Well, my thing is that's what happens to a lot of people. And like, you know, uh, I remember there was a story a friend of mine was telling me about they haven't gotten married yet because their partner was actually in a relationship because they married a woman who was trying to get a green card here. And she was actually a lesbian and she wanted my to God, get too. married to her partner and they have to divorce, but they're waiting because of all the tax stuff. My God, today. It's, it can get messy. It really can get messy. You just gave messy. me a headache describing that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, God, being single in this country. Uh, well, I guess I need to go find me a man. Anyway, we got more show coming up. And actually, this is interesting. Have y'all heard of, like, the rise of professional listeners? It's kind of what you all are if you listen to the show, but you don't get paid for it. Well, some people will actually listen to you vent. Hmm. Sounds like a therapist to me. Is it? Well, find out when we get back. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, so shout out to all my nosy people out there because I got a job for you. You can be a professional listener. You know, literally, you can just... Somebody can call you up. They just feel like venting. You know, maybe they they partner cheated on them and they just want to tell talk to you about their plan or their revenge plot plan. And you can just sit there and listen. Just get paid for it. You don't got to give up. I guess, like, for me, we're trying to figure out if this is therapy or not. But it's, it's not. not. It's not. It's Would not. you do this? Would you do something like this? You know, initially I was like, yeah, I'd be a pro- I already feel like in, in certain regards I am a professional listener, but I'm also a professional <laughs> talker, so it's reciprocal. Right. But, um, no, I would not because there's other things that I could be doing as forms of entertainment. Um, I could be reading a book. I could be watching TV. I don't think that it interests me sitting on the phone listening to someone from Connecticut kind of go through it when I just am ultimately going to tell you to please seek professional help. <laughs> Well, this is like the perfect job for like the no- nosy neighbor that needs something to do. But how is it productive? I mean, I understand. I mean, just to, because here's the thing. Sometimes I get when you it. are venting, you just need people to listen. You don't want no other. No feedback. Yeah, I don't. I just want you to sit there, shut up and listen. And if I can pay for that, then cool. But why not get friends? 
Because friends get over, they try, they start to avoid you when you start to vent too much. And there's a line when it comes to friendships. That is true. I felt that way over a situation, but then I made sure just to keep it between my journal and my therapist when I wanted to really rail against it. Right. Same. Like there, there's certain is, things too. And this also doesn't really seem safe because there's no way to ensure confidentiality. Like if, what if someone, you know, recognizes your voice or you say someone's name that's unique and then it's like, let me look up this person's Twitter and they can, they're able to piece the puzzle. You know what I'm saying? Piece yeah. the, piece the yeah. pieces of the puzzle together. It just seems like it has potential to be messy because what ob- obligation does the professional listener have to you to keep your information confidential? Well, actually, uh, one of the psychologists in this Salon.com article about this said there there is an ethical gray area when wellness services and mental health services are mistaken for each other. Ooh. She said, I tend to think of digital mental health products as uh, either being clinical or something that's more like wellness, something someone voluntarily engages, uh, voluntarily engages in, and the regulatory landscape around what wellness is is very, very murky. I have to agree with that because I think that's where this, you know, this type of thing right here where you're being a professional listener, when you probably should be going to therapy, you're actually, this professional listener is actually holding up the process process of making sure they're getting better. You know what this is reminding me of? It's almost reminding me, and this isn't to delegitimize anyone, but this is reminding me of like a life coach. Mm. You could just get a therapist. Now, there are certain life coaches that I like that I follow, but it's like, I want to talk to someone who's got some letters behind their name. And my thing is a life coach could have, if the life coach has those letters, letters, yeah, I think that's perfect. But I'm just saying, it may sound elitist or whatever, but I want want some personal responsibility there that in the event something happens, you have something within the books and the training and the schooling that you went through to to kind of make sense of it. I just don't want to talk to someone who's just been like, oh, I lived life and I've been through some things, <laughs> that is, so let me guide yes, you. That's no. my thing, too, where I'm like, what makes you a, a qualified to be a life coach? E- ego. Like, I don't know what that means. Like, you aren't we going through the same thing? You may even be going through worse things because my thing is, what are you avoiding in your own life that makes you feel like you got to help other people's lives And together? then how can I trust that, that your suggestions, like, I mean, what? even with therapy, you kind of have to gauge everything. But yeah, this is kind of what this reminds me of. And this honestly sounds like a bad idea. And I say this with respect to not everybody has access to therapy. Therapy costs money, but... I don't know. Yeah. Does it say how much these professional listeners are, are making it per session? It does not, but um, actually, yes, it does. Based just outside of uh, York, England, this uh, this lady, she works with young professional and charges $70 for 25-minute calls and $125 for 50-minute calls. And most therapy sessions are an hour for 150 if you really yeah. want to get to the yeah. nitty-gritty of it. So, yeah, I'd say bypass this wow. and go to a professional. All right, so that is uh, the end of this hour. We're going into top of the hour news, headlines, everything you need to know. We're talking about RuPaul's Drag Race and how they just announced and revealed its first heterosexual queen. The cishets are literally everywhere. (laughs) Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. We're back. It's another top of the hour. And, of course, we have more beautiful show here. Shira Lazar is out, but filling in for her is Shar Jassel. I was about to say, are you about to mispronounce my name? No, of course not. I've you, never done you that. You kind of dragged with the Jassel. I, I said Jassel. We I'm giving drama. I'm giving, giving theater. Oprah. I'm giving, giving theater, darling. You're giving Madam Winfrey. 
Oh, wow, what is this in my ear? Um, <laughs> the commercials. Um, okay, so let's talk about top of the hour and what's coming up next. You know what I really hate? What? Couples that do that stupid ass baby talk. What do you mean? Like, hi, baby. Good morning. Well, we're going to talk about it because there's a reason why couples do that. And I can't wait to break it down. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that either. I wouldn't want no man in my face doing baby talk. No, it's like, I think it would be more so you doing the baby talk to him. Like, Shira does this with her partner. Let me tell you something. One thing Shara's done with is baby and grown ass man. (laughs) I've been down that road, honey child. See, it's like, my thing is, I, I think I'm able to, uh, with uh, Shira being gone, I can just talk about all the things I hate. Oh, stop. <laughs> stop. We love you, Shira. Oh, SL. my gosh. Okay, so let's talk about top of the hour headlines real quick. RuPaul's Drag Race just announced. Wow. Um, I don't even want to say it. Anyway, in this new crop of contestants, there is a history maker, Maddie Morphosis. They will make the uh, history, well, he will make history as the first ever cisgender heterosexual queen on RuPaul's Drag Race. So he's not the winner because they don't haven't done no, taped they it just, yet. No, they just did the reveal, the reveal of the, yeah, the season I, 14 queen. I saw a trans woman as a part of the cast this yeah, year. That which is, often. Yeah, which isn't unusual, but I didn't see uh, him. Well, I guess I wouldn't have known. You can't tell if someone is cis or heterosexual. Yeah, yeah. So have you seen his picture? Um, I looked at his Instagram. Um, it's given, you know, cis head white guy. His girlfriend is a um, uh, also a drag queen, so they kind of exist in a lot of queer spaces. And for me, all hmm. I have to say about this is we just can't have nothing. And some people are on the fence being like, well, may, you know, give him a chance. Maybe he'll be really good and, and, and maybe he'll bring a fresh perspective. But shows like this is just simply where queer folks can go to to like have their own lingo, have their own cultural like connections. And now y'all want to creep up in it? Well, in fairness, I've never done drag, but drag looks fun. Okay. It looks like a lot of fun. Also, from a producer standpoint, you know, I used to work in unscripted TV. From a producer standpoint, yeah. this is pretty entertaining. Yeah, of course. Duh. I and get I, it. And I I'm get seeing, it. But, I'm mm. seeing that season 14 will air on Blue Ivy's birthday. June 7th, well, January 7th, sorry. Um, so, yeah, that is, um, however, your whatever your headlines for right now, and I'll have Are more you gonna, next Well, hour. you're going to watch. You're a Drag Race of fan. Of course, of you're course gonna I'm going to watch. I'm going to hate watch him, though. <laughs> anyway, uh, what's happened in the T-Report super quick? Oh, my goodness. Portia Williams, one of my favorite Real Housewives of Atlanta alum, just revealed in her book that dropped Tuesday that she spoke with authorities about her, quote-unquote, encounter with R. Kelly. Here's what she had to say on the Tamron Hall show earlier this week putting r kelly's name in the book because some people i named some people i didn't name and putting his name in the book it's just putting a name to another face that i had already encountered before um he had just been one of the men who was a predator in my life who um had taken advantage of me and mentally abused me in my life um, so I saw him no different than those same men. That same darkness, that same treatment, they faced and met the same Portia who did not know her self-worth. I didn't love myself. I didn't see who I was in those situations. 
So, yeah, I should mention that at the time, this was in 2007. Portia was 25. R. Kelly was 39. And Portia was in Vegas when one of R. Kelly's assistants approached her and invited her back to the Chicago mansion in which Portia went. She thought she, for whatever reason, was going to a recording studio. You know, she did drop that song a while back. But instead, she was taken to his bedroom where she remained for hours. She stated that once Kelly emerged, she had sex with him, even though she felt uncomfortable. So it's one of those things where and I should mention I should mention that she does initially was not looking at herself as a victim you know in comparison to the surviving R. Kelly like the teens because she was a consenting adult she was 25 so it's interesting like I said Portia pursuing Portia is you know available now it's her new book and I don't know what to make of this yeah, I don't know. Let us know your thoughts at LGT Show. Let us know on, on social media, of course. And we are channelq.com is where you can find more about the story. Coming up, though, because we got to keep this show going. Oh, my God, my favorite part is coming up. Yes, Queen's always later in the show, but we're doing an early Yes, Queen. And it's for the Black Trans Films Collective. Very excited about finding out more about them. Don't go anywhere. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. One of my favorite things about this show is we really get to have an opportunity to highlight organizations that deserve it. Because honestly, they're doing the work. And specifically, this organization, Black Trans Films and the Arts Collective. Jordan J is on the phone, and I cannot wait to talk about one. There's a Forbes article about her. And let me just tell you, her lashes are everything, but that's beyond the point. <laughs> I just can't wait to compliment her. So, Jordan J, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Girl, okay, so let me get this out the way. Your lashes are great. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> No, but please. I love a good lash extension. Yes. You deserve. You honestly deserve. Talk to us about your organization and why it was so important for you to start. Yeah, so BTFA is the Black Trans Femmes and the Arts Collective. Um, We provide services to Black Trans Femmes artists nationwide and even worldwide. Um, We work with them to produce their work, um, to showcase their work through social media and through live events and performances to enhance their work through workshops and other um, curated things that we do for educational purposes for artists and through direct aid as well. So we um, support the Black Transform community in a lot of different ways. And we were started because um, I just realized that there was so much focus on the suffering of trans women and so much focus on, you know, doing things to get trans women just to a point of survival And I wanted us to think beyond that and think bigger than that and think about thriving and fulfilling our dreams and doing what makes us happy. So I wanted to make sure there was a space for the arts to be supported as well. Oh, love that. So what type of services do you all uh, provide? Because I was going to ask, like, what was the launching pad or the inspiration? But you kind of just answered that. So what type of services do you all offer to people interested? Well, to the FEMS, I should mention, interested in, in being associated with the organization. So there's a variety of ways that BTFA provides support, even as simple as promoting artists on our social media. We have a large Instagram platform with over 40,000 followers. And so we regularly share art that is sent to us by artists who just want to get their message out there and have their work be seen. We also curate events that showcase the art and talent in our community. We recently hosted the List Launch, which was an event here in New York City where we highlighted um 11 different artists that we work with 
and showed, you know, all the breadth of talent that's within our community. We even have a global database of artists of over 100 artists from the Caribbean to Canada to Germany um, to Accra, Ghana, that um, are Black trans femmes that are doing work in the arts. And we executive produce projects by artists. So Miss Mojo's Juicy EP, which just dropped last week, was um, supported mm-hmm. by BCFA. And we are working on a music video for the icon, Sanaya Alaya, if you're familiar with Ballroom. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that we support. That's incredible. And, I, you know, you kind of touched on this, but it's something that I, I feel like me and Char have conversations about in the sense of, like, everything in the mainstream media, especially when it comes to just black trans women or just black trans folks, is so doom and gloom. And it's sometimes mm-hmm. so it's awful to see as someone who is just I, I'm not trans, but I'm a queer, just fat black person. And I have a lot of trans friends in, in community. And it's a lot of times that is not everyone's story. And I wonder how how do you all work towards, you know, isolating yourself from that narrative that we just so often see all the time in, in the media, unfortunately? Um, I think the answer is just to get as many different types of stories out there as we possibly can, which is why we support artists from all walks of life, from ballroom, from here in New York City, like I said earlier, from Accra, Ghana, um, younger trans women, older trans women, really anyone that has an experience and a story to share through the arts, we support. And I think that there's not a problem with the dominant narrative that we hear. It's a lot of girls' stories, but there's also more stories and the problem is that those stories aren't paid attention to or believed or valued um, because they don't have this sort of like social currency that the media likes to eat up so we just try to share as much as possible so that everyone has a voice everyone has a platform and that there can be a more complex narrative to what it means to be black and trans that's beautiful where can people uh learn more about your organization if they want to follow up or donate throw some money over there yes yeah Yes, give us the donations. Um, so you can donate through our website, which is btfacollective.org. Um, and we're at BTFA Collective on all social media, um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and also our YouTube channel, BTFA Collective, also has some of our videos of our performances and productions that we've done. Woo, Jordan J, you are absolutely incredible, and I am thank you for all so that you thankful do. for you. You are it's so wonderful, and your lashes are everything. I can't get over them. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for joining us. And y'all, we are keeping this show going. Make sure to just donate and send all the good vibes to this collective because it's so necessary. We need it. We need it. We need it. Now, coming up, we're pivoting. You know, I'm finally so happy that I can talk about the things that I hate because I really hate couples who use baby talk with one another. And um, I'm going to tell you why people do it. That's coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Oh, baby talkers everywhere in the couples. I hate you. I just want you to know. (laughs) Goodness, Ryan. I don't necessarily hate you. Maybe that's a strong word. But isn't it annoying when couples do the baby talk thing? Like whittle sugar plum. Like, hey, boo-boo. Hey, boo Yeah. I'm not receptive to that. Grow up. I'm not receptive to that. Nothing about a man. I'm trying to envision a man doing that to me. And as much as I require tenderness and love and softness from men that I like to date, I draw the line there. I don't, don't I've, talk to I've me I've like never that. known any men to do it. I've only I only see it when it comes. I'm not to be gendered. 
is like you know women do it well i de- i definitely don't do it i i don't i talk to you like the grown man that you are <laughs> well you know i wouldn't ex- honestly i wouldn't expect baby talk from you <laughs> now gr- granted i'm a comforter i know that i i i do have my toxic yeah. trait when it comes to to quote unquote loving is sometimes i overextend my empathy and i comfort and make excuses for your bad behavior but still rub you on your back and tell you it's going to be okay i just don't say it like that however go ahead with the story pitch Ryan. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it honestly sounds strange, um, but guess what? It's no disorder. Why do couples do it? Well, it's important to understand what exactly you know people mean by baby talk. It's just like this high, over exaggerated pitch and temp, and you know, in your voice pitch, your tempo, and in the way that you're using it. Like, literally how you would talk to to a baby. But according to speech and hearing expert Patricia Cole, this special style of speaking facilitates social interactions with babies and helping them learn how to communicate. I even do it with my dog. I feel like we we often say... Okay, yeah. You know... I've I've done it with pets. Babies, but also dogs are pets. I've done it with... I mean, dogs are babies. I've done it with cats and dogs that I've had. Well, research has shown that this style of speaking actually triggers the release of neurotransmitters that uh, motivate infants to learn. So... I mean, our okay. Men... So, what does it do for adults in 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 romantic situations okay. as couples? All right, stop yelling at me. The use. <laughs> I just that's just you, that, that's a, that's actually a, a prime example of why Char is never going to be speaking at baby talk. <laughs> okay, so the use of idiosyncrat uh, synchronatic. That's the word. Idiosynchronatic. Yeah. yeah. Our uh, personalized communication is an, an important aspect of close friendships and romantic relationships. Hmm. Uh, to the couple, it's a sign of their bond, a boundary that sets them apart from everyone else. So pet names like Sweetie Pie and Nugget are a part of this. They've been shown to signal greater relationship satisfaction among couples. Hmm. Satisfaction. You, satisfaction. Oh, my God. Whatever. It's, it's okay. Uh, Let me live. I'm okay with nick- boo boo. I'm okay with. <laughs> I'm okay with nicknames. No, I hate nicknames too. Oh no, I like a nickname, what? especially if it's like a special bond that I have with someone, especially romantically. Uh, I don't what's, mind. What's, what's a nickname for you? I'm not. I'm not saying on air. I'm not about to have people running around calling me certain things. <laughs> no, what is well, a what nickname? I, what I will say is a pet peeve of mine. Okay, there is this guy uh-huh. that I was talking to a okay. while back, right? But he used to call me Shar Shar. Okay. And that pisses me off because What's... it sounds like a dog. Shar-shar? Come here, Shar-shar. Doesn't that sound like it's a, a little pet like a little Scooby-Doo-ish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do not like that. Okay. But it's hard to give me a nickname because my name literally is one syllable. So, like, right. you, you're Ryan. Some people may call you Rye. Everyone calls me Rye. You know, but I I'm, used to hate it for the longest. I'm just Shar. Like, my name yeah. is just four letters, one syllable. It's not short for anything. A lot of people automatically assume that Char is my nickname. And I'm like, no, 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 What no, would no. it be a nickname I for? mean, it could be Charlotte, Chardonnay, Sharkeisha. You've thought about this. <laughs> I, I mean, because that's, what, that's what's been rattled off to me when I've asked, well, what could it be, yeah. you know? So, wait, what names do you prefer? Because the only things I find acceptable is babe and baby. That's it. I'm not saying mine on air. I like those two as well, though. <laughs> Are you really? I like I like Bay Bay. I like those two as well. <laughs> she is really just withholding information. I am, but I don't. I'm saying I don't. You can hold Please the give baby me talk. A hint. I now want to know. No, 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 no. You can withhold the baby talk. Can I know I do, after we get? I off do air? not mind a nickname. Can I know after we get? No. Off air? Wow, this is ridiculous. Uh, Producer Vanessa, what what baby? What do you call your partner? Oh yeah, you got a man. I just call him Babe. 
Okay, so Babe is just regular. Yeah, or Joshua. Well, that's his name. <laughs> but, but because I now think his name is Babe, Joshua is his nickname. Oh, okay. Oh, All right. Because okay. you switch it. You yeah. switch, you know? Okay. You know? And Josh, I mean, honestly, I feel like when you're in a relationship and you call somebody by their real name, that means they're in trouble. Yeah. So it's kind of like, yeah. Much I like, like with parents, like if they say your full name, you yeah. know that you're in for it. For me, just call me Babe or, you know baby that's basically it don't do any don't do me anything else i don't want no woo woo woos or wee wee wees that is it for me so coming up we have more show of course top of the hour news right that no oh girl we got more of stuff coming up okay well we got more in this hour let me go figure out what it is i'll be back Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Okay, so this story coming out of Orange County. A mom is basically suing her child's school for a million dollars because guess what? They banned her from volunteering at her kid's school because of what she does for a living. She has an OnlyFans account. It is 2021 and we're still going through this. Well, I mean, I feel like this story is reflective of what we've been talking about all show, Uh which is just like this extreme religious evangelical movement that is never going anywhere in the United States because that's fundamentally what our country was founded on despite people saying like the individual you know pursuit of happiness and separation of church and state so it all goes back to like virtue of righteousness right because if she's doing an OnlyFans what does that have to do with the the children what does that have to do with them well here's how it started she spoke with BuzzFeed and said it started after an anonymous email was sent to the school district's administrator that contained photos of her from her OnlyFans page. Now, uh, who found that? Somebody's husband. And uh, <laughs> the wife saw it in the history of the internet and got upset. And said, not on my not watch. Not today. We're going to get her up out of here in our little <laughs> small town. Shortly after that email was sent, she was pulled into the principal's office and told, not like she a child, uh, and told that she could no longer volunteer or be around children at the school because of what she does for a living. She said this, quote, It made me feel extremely sad. I love my kids' school and volunteering, so being told that I can no longer do that felt like one of the biggest joys in my life was just ripped away from me. She is literally suing the school for a million dollars, and I hope she gets every damn dime. Wow. I wonder, let me ask you this. If it were a man on OnlyFans, because there's plenty of men on OnlyFans. And I know, I'd be And plenty, plenty of cishet men on OnlyFans. I, I, you know, I check it out sometimes. So people's fathers, if this were a dad that yeah. was involved in the school, do I you think be... the same thing would happen? Well, no. Me neither. I don't think I this don't, would happen. I think the, the single moms would be looking at the man being like, ooh. <laughs> We see it every time, you know? I, I think, unfortunately, this girl, she, she, I mean, I don't know how old she is, but she looks young. She's blonde. She has great body. She has a, you know, a little uh, tattoo situation everywhere. Oh, so she already stood out in Orange County as a parent. Yeah, yeah, she's, yeah, I mean, she looks like a young she mom. Would, she would fit in with all of that in the Valley. She would fit in with that in Reseda, yeah, but in Orange, Orange County, County yeah. you're going to stand out. Yeah, and so it's just really, uh, it's it's sad to see this um, happen. I mean, I ain't going to hold her too much because she probably making a whole bunch of money on OnlyFans and, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, and I mean, when you look at the political demographics of Orange County, she probably ain't, it doesn't stand for your right to exist. So, <laughs> Yeah, and this, of course, like we said, it is not a standalone issue. Moms who work in the adult in- entertainment industry are being shamed and discriminated against by society, school, and other and parents wonder, every what, single day. What threat does this have against the children, I wonder? 
I don't know. It's really the. It's. I'm telling you. I'm. Re- I'm staying with the husbands. I find that a lot of these arguments that come up with parents, you know, raising their fist at the PTA meeting, yeah. is rooted in them. Much like the, you know, a lot of the LGBT issues that that pop up, it's rooted in the parents fear mongering. Yeah, yeah, the kids are just yeah. minding their business. And now, what about her kids? Now everybody, all the classmates know what mommy does for a living. Now the kids are going to be trolled and shamed yeah. and ridiculed and well, teased. Well, one thing I love about this, this article is on Yahoo.com, and they actually link to all of her socials and her OnlyFans page. So I hope she's getting some new business. All right, then. She deserves. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. It's time for my favorite segment of the day, the Yahoo. Yes, Queen. Yes, Queen. Come on. And it's going out to the Black Trans Films and the Arts Collective. And I'm so excited because Jordan J is joining us to talk about everything that she is doing and her organization is doing. Here she is. Yeah, so BTFA is the Black Trans Films and the Arts Collective. Um, we provide services to Black Trans Film artists nationwide and even worldwide. Um, we work with them to produce their work. Um, to showcase their work through social media and through live events and performances, to enhance their work through workshops and other um, curated things that we do for educational purposes for artists and through direct aid as well. So we um, support the Black Transform community in a lot of different ways. And we were started because um, I just realized that there was so much focus on the suffering of trans women and so much focus on you know, doing things to get trans women just to a point of survival. And I wanted us to think beyond that and think bigger than that and think about thriving and fulfilling our dreams and doing what makes us happy. So I wanted to make sure there was a space for the arts to be supported as well. And that is our yes, Queen. Honestly, shout out to her and everything that she is doing for the community. I love it. She's really amplifying the girls and the femmes. Love it, love it, love it. Yes, yes, yes. And I love ending the show in such a happy moment. And of course, Shar Jassel, you did a incredible job this week. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, so tell everyone where they can find you. Oh, at Char Says So everywhere. And that's Char with an S, not a C. And that says, not Char Say So. I think there's another girl running around here co-opting my name. <laughs> actually, no, there is. And I have to show you her her Twitter. Really? Yeah, no, seriously. She actually popped up in my, uh, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, um, so yes, we got more show next week. Of course, stick around with us. And right up after this, What's popping with DJ Alex D giving you all the vibes to party out with this weekend? I'm Ryan Mitchell, and always remember to slay. Love you. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich, the step back three, you bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. 
Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast. Get your head in the financial game with smart investing and budgeting tips straight from the nerds. Nerd Wallet's experts will set future you up for success with dependable, fact-based insights. No financial misinformation allowed. Learn how to save on your summer vacation, find your next credit card, or loan for a big purchase, and invest in your next index fund. Make smarter decisions in 2024. Follow Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app.